My name is Jared, that is correct. Um, my wife and I moved uh, to Long Island City in July. I shared a little bit about my story last week, so I won't bore you, but my name is Jared, and I'm speaking at you for four weeks. That's the basic information you need to know. Um, I'm very excited to be with you for four weeks. Uh, Patrick um, asked me uh, a while ago, and of course I prepared yesterday. Um, so I'm very excited. It's, very, it's a fresh message for me um, to, to bring to you. So I'm very excited. We're, we're doing a series called More Than. And it's, uh, it's all of the things that Patrick's age is more than for the next four weeks. It's just a list of how old he is and how many things are younger than him. Um, just kidding. I had to give I had to give Raz in, in some way while he's gone. If, prepare yourself. I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with better material for the next four weeks because he can't defend himself. So, um, but I, I'm excited to be here and I wanted to mention Patrick because Patrick said something to me and it was very honoring. He said, "I feel like you know when you, when you speak, we're gonna miss it. We're not gonna miss a beat." And I said, "That's great, but that's not true." We're going to miss Patrick, right? Patrick is an amazing, amazing shepherd and leader. And of course, we're going to miss the guy. And he's and we're, and we're going to pray for him, right? And we're going to pray that God will lead him over the next four weeks. So that's what I'm actually going to open up by praying for Patrick. And I would ask you guys to join me as he thinks about the future of, of New City Church. And uh, yeah, so Jesus, thank you for the, the man that you've gifted us with, uh, with Patrick, mm-hmm. and the heart that you've given him. And um, yeah, God, would you speak to him so clearly over these next four weeks? And speak to him about the future, but also, God, would you remind him of your present and current love for him, that he has uh, worth and value well beyond how well New City Church does, and that he is your son, would you remind him of that goodness, and and God, would you use us to encourage him along the way. Thank you for, for this, this family, God, your name, amen. Amen. So we're, we're not doing a series on how old Patrick is, more than is actually about Peter, the, the failure and legacy of Peter. And you might be asking, why Peter? Why, why did we choose Peter? Um, it wasn't because I just flipped the Bible open and picked a random name. That wasn't why I did that. The story of, uh, of Peter really resonates with me. And so in order to share why Peter, I'll share a little bit more about my life. I've, I've shared some bits and pieces here and there, up here. But uh, there's, there's a really big thing that I haven't shared. And that is that I am a miracle. And that is not a humble brag. That is a medical fact. Uh, my mother had a had a couple of tumors, and in the treatment of those, it made it medically, physiologically, physically, scientifically impossible for her to have a child. And I am here. And I I am their miracle, their only child, their miracle son. And I grew up knowing this, right? I mean, of course, my mom is going to introduce me. Every, every mom already does this, right? But now it's like, here's my miracle child. Um, and so I, I don't remember when I first started feeling the pressure of being a miracle, but I think it was pretty early. And then to add insult to injury to the pressure, um, my parents, my father decided when I was five or six years old that he was going to uh, quit being a lawyer. He was, we, we had this nice big home in Denver. He was going to quit being a lawyer and raise money so that he can start an inner-city Christian at-risk alternative high school in Omaha, Nebraska, his hometown, which is one of the worst places to be um, in North Omaha, especially if you're a young black male. It's, it's one of the worst places in the country. And my dad decided that he was going to pack up the family van from Denver, drop the lawyer bit, raise support, and follow God's calling, and he became, a, as you can imagine, a pillar of that community. And so now, not only am I a miracle son, but I am the miracle son of John and Lori Parsons, 
heroes of Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> and somewhere around 11 or 12, right, the questions already started to begin. Wow, your parents are doing this. Do you think you'll ever take up their mantle someday? I am 12, <laughs> right? I'm just hoping my acne clears up by the end of the week. Like, what do you, what do you think? I, what, what kind of pressure are you putting on me? And that, that pressure did continue. And there was a question that dogged me for a lot of my life. A question that has been a motivation for, for great things, but also for a lot of pain for me. This question is a part of the reason why I joined full-time staff with, with the Navigators to do college uh, ministry. This question is a part of the reason why my wife and I decided to move from Iowa to New York. And this question is, am I worthy of the miracle? Am I worthy of this miracle? Am I worth it? Or did God waste a miracle on me? And this question has driven me to, 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 to try to be the best that I possibly can be. And so, of course, I'm drawn to Peter. Peter is a man that I would describe who lived a more than life. More than, his legacy is more than many, many others. He lived a more than life, and his legacy is pretty impressive, and I, and I love studying it, right? Peter is a man who, in his first sermon, led 3,000 people to freedom in Christ. His first sermon, could you imagine your first sermon, what, or what your first attempt at anything being that successful? Peter actually walked on water. On this earth, he talked with Moses and Elijah. He saw Jesus in his glorious Form. He is the most influential of the early church leaders. And you might say, wait about Paul, but Paul actually looked to Peter's leadership. Peter mm -hmm. lived a more than legacy. His, his, he is the father of the most influential religious office in history, maybe even political office. Peter has a, has a huge legacy. And so, of course, I'm drawn to him. Because I want to find out, am I worthy? And I think we all struggle with this question, whether or not you, you, you think you're a miracle. The question is, where do I find my worth? Where do I find my worth? And I was looking to Peter to answer this question because I wanted to prove my worth by being better than everyone else. The only way I was going to be worthy of the miracle is that if I was perfect at everything. And so, of course, I'm looking at Peter's life. How do I get this legacy? How do I get this legacy? And it turns out, Peter was also a massive failure. <laughs> massive failure. And I wanted to separate the two. I wanted, to, I wanted his legacy without his failures, right? I wanted to say, okay, I'm just going to tap into the successful part, but not the failing part. But the more that I read Peter, the more I identified with the failures. <laughs> and that is no coincidence. We're going to talk about worth this morning through the eyes of Peter. Because Peter really struggles with what makes him worthy. And what's so beautiful about Peter's story is that it is not because of his legacy and his works that made him worthy. Jesus declares his worth in the midst of his most embarrassing failure. Right there, in, in Peter's biggest failure, Jesus says, you are worth it. And I found so much freedom in that message, New City. And I hope you do too. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at a few lessons of where do we find our worth. We're going we're to we're take four lessons from the story of Peter. And for those of you who are note takers, 
Um, this is going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're gonna, it's going to be a story, mostly today. We're, we're gonna, you're like, what text are we going to be in? Well, John 13 through Acts 4. We're, we're going to be in a big chunk this morning, and we're going to see this redemptive narrative of Peter's life, of him finding worth. And so um, th there will be little snapshots for you to look, but don't, just don't try to follow along. You'll get confused and then angry at me, um, and I don't want that. So uh, let me pray again to, to, to start us off, and then we'll start walking through the text. Jesus, thank you for the, the worth that you speak over us in the midst of our failures. Thank you for the love that you give us. Would you help us be convinced of your love this morning? And that we don't have to earn anything from you. Speak to us clearly, Holy Spirit, about, about the way that you, that you work in our lives. Use me, Holy Spirit, to speak. In your name. Amen. Amen. So we're, uh, the story will we'll start in John 13. And uh, John 13, the, the setting is a dinner. Uh, Jesus didn't walk into this dinner and say, I declare this the upper room discourse, put it on a heading of every Bible. <laughs> they didn't know that this was happening. This was, and he didn't say this the Last Supper, he just had a dinner with his friends. And he has this dinner, and they start eating. And uh, Jesus gets up, and he takes off his coat. Not his coat, his tunic. But he takes off his coat for modern understanding. And he begins washing these, his 12 friends' feet. Now, imagine if you, uh, just, just so we understand how gross this is, imagine that, like, New York subway sanitation, only, like, a thousand times worse, everywhere that, that everyone's walking. And everyone's wearing open-toed, like, everyone wears Crocs, basically. <laughs> And that's what Jesus decided to wash. The king of the universe, who spoke being, who invented beauty, is washing crap off of his apostles' feet. And Peter, oh, I love Peter. Peter sees this, and we're going to see a pattern of rash behavior by Peter. And Peter says, nah, not my feet. And Jesus, this is, this is some of this is paraphrasing. Jesus says, <laughs> if y'all... If you don't let me wash your feet, you don't understand anything that I've been doing. And so then I, Peter, I imagine in all caps, says, Okay, then wash everything of me. And Jesus is like, All right, slow down, Turbo. It's cool. You're clean, right? Except for one of you. Except for one of you. Jesus then says, One of you is going to betray me. Now, I imagine that there's an inner dialogue in Peter's mind. And he's going, Hmm, one of us will betray him. He did call me Peter. He gave me the nickname The Rock. That's cool, but which one of us is going to betray him? Let's see. Was there any one of us who was rebuked as being influenced by Satan? Oh, no, that's me. And Peter begins to panic. And he's the one pushing the question, who, who's going to betray him? Who's going to betray him? And he pushes for this question. You can feel the panic and anxiety because only one of them was saying, get behind me, Satan. That was him. So he's, he's freaking out. And he, and he asks Jesus, and Jesus doesn't really answer, and then, and then Jesus does answer this. It's like this really interesting moment where Jesus says, it's who I'm handing this piece of bread to, and he hands it to Judas, and all of the disciples are like, and, and then Judas left, and all the disciples are like, oh, Judas just went to get groceries. Like, that was it! Like, you, you, he said, this is the, doesn't matter. Peter is freaking out. And there's even this really funny moment where uh, John is uh, resting his head on Jesus' shoulder, and Peter's asked to no avail. 
And so it says that Peter gestured to John. So he's Hey, Jesus, you know, like John finally asks, and uh, but but Peter is, is freaking out because he wants to know if he's the one. Is he the betrayer? And so after Judas leaves, Jesus says he, he's going somewhere. And this is where we pick up our, our first lesson. John 13, 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. So Jesus doesn't really deny Peter's request. Doesn't deny him that he will follow him eventually. But Peter is rash, and he wants to do it now. He wants to go now because he's panicking that wherever Jesus is going, he's going to be the betrayer, right? So he says, I want to follow you now. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, really, will you? Will you? The rooster will, will not crow until you deny me three times. The first lesson here is simple. Um, if you're unsure about your worth, you will make rash promises to win approval. If you're unsure about your worth, you will make rash promises to win approval. There are other times where Jesus does say that you, you will lay down your life, but that's not what he's asking right now. We're just talking about going actually to heaven eventually. But Peter's just trying to win Jesus' approval, and Jesus' response is so beautiful. Because Jesus doesn't deny that eventually Peter will follow him, but he says, really, will you lay down your life? I know your character, and I don't think you're really ready yet to back that, that statement up, right? And we make these rash promises. You know, I, I have a tendency to make these promises to my boss. Sure, I'll get that to you by the end of the day. No, let that happen by the end of the day, right? Sure, I'll do that. Yeah, we'll get dinner, right? That's the New York thing. Yeah, well, let's get dinner, you know, eventually. Yeah, let's do this. And, and we make these rash promises. I, I will always be there for you. I will always do this. I will do this. I will do that. I will be this person. We make these rash promises to people. But what Jesus points out in Peter isn't just the promise he made to Jesus. What, what, what Jesus is interacting with Peter is the rash promise Peter made to himself. See, Peter made this promise to himself that he was not going to be a failure. And so he wanted to be better than everyone else, and he wanted to be the one to follow Jesus now. And Jesus says, really? Right? You're going to back that up? Interesting. We make these rash promises, not, not just to people, but to ourselves, right? I will never look stupid again. I was a minor in philosophy in college. And basically, that, what that meant is that you never admit you're wrong for four years. <laughs> you're not allowed to. And I run into this with New York all the time, too, right? We talked about, you said, mentioned something about pretentious, right? You just run into these conversations where you're like, not, none of you know what's happening. I don't know what's happening, but we're all pretending like we're experts right now. <laughs> it's exhausting. We make these promises to ourselves. I'll never look stupid again. I'll never, I'll never look rude or mean or whatever it is. And we do this to win people's approval. And approval is fleeting. Approval is immensely fleeting. So Peter makes this rash promise. The story goes on. So 
they, Jesus says a lot of more cool things that I'm not going to talk about, but uh, basically gives uh, a, a beautiful picture of his own heart for us from John 14, 15, 16, and 17. And he lays it out in such clear and beautiful language. Please read this, this section. I don't want to skip over it. You think that you can skip over it. Please read this section. It's beautiful. But after he, he, he says these things, he goes to the garden. And, and the, the 11 follow him, minus Judas, right? And uh, they're in the garden, and Jesus asked Peter to stay up to pray for an hour. He fell asleep like three times. Um, and so Peter, Peter's having a rough night already. And while they're praying in the garden, who shows up but Judas with uh, a whole host of, of Roman soldiers and other men. And it's pretty clear now who the betrayer is. It should have been. But oh my gosh, would I have loved to be a fly on the wall of Peter's mind when this group flew, showed up. Right? So there's, there's armed men galore everywhere. And inside Peter's mind is, okay, so um, I kind of imagine it like, like, a, like a Peter and like a Smeagol Peter kind of situation. <laughs> Where Peter's like, okay, so it is Judas. And he's like, right, but you haven't proven yourself yet. He said he'll, you'll, de you'll deny him three times. Well, what do you want me to do about it? We have a sword. We have one sword. There's 30 guys. Yes, but we have a sword. What's your plan? Are we going to kill someone? No, his ear. His ear? His ear. Why? Pick it up in verse 18. 20. Uh, I should have had this ready. Uh, one of the servants, a high priest. Oh, that's too, too far ahead. Dang it. I had that time. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. That begins important later. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? What was Peter thinking, right? Like, okay, we've got this armed, armed men. I'm going to prove myself by lopping off this dude's ear. Like, what was his long-term plan? Like, did he think Jesus was going to be like, well done. <laughs> nice. I didn't, the ear. Nice. What was his plan? And this is, this is a continuation. Peter made a vow that he would lay down his life for Jesus. And it wasn't a wise vow. It wasn't a vow based on what Jesus asked him. It was a vow to prove his own worth and approval. And he had to carry that through, which leads us to the second lesson, is that when um, you're unsure of your worth, you will take rash, rash action to prove your value. Right? So we make these promises, like, I, I will never be this. I will always do this. I will always be this. And then, and then we start to follow through on that, and we don't need to. You know, I, I uh, for, for about five years of my life, I thought that my boss was, like, happy with me that I was sending emails at 1130, 12 at night. He never asked me to do that, right? And I kind of wore it as, like, this badge of honor. I work all night. He was like, spend time with your wife, dummy. Right? Like, why, why do you need to be this? But we do these things. We take these rash actions to prove our value in front of other people. We, we take glory right in our work, right? And New York is, is a hardworking place. And the worst thing you can be is lazy here. And so you, we kind of wear on our sleeve, yeah, I worked 80 hours. Where is your family? Right? Like, if you need to work 80 hours, that's That's fine. But, but we wear, like, a badge of honor. And New York is also funny because it's, like, this battleground of these competitions, right? And there's always this unsurety of worth in comparison to other people. And this is fleeting. 
People's approval is a fleeting. Value can even be fleeting based on, based on your performance. Peter's having a rough night. It gets worse. It gets a, loss, a lot worse. And what happens next, I hope, never happens to anybody else. Ever. So Jesus gets arrested and uh, brought to trial in front of a guy named Caiaphas, who's the high priest. And uh, another group of, of people called the Sanhedrin, the, the 70 most powerful, influential men in this region. And, Jesus, and, and Peter follows Jesus to the trial, but doesn't go in and, and stands at a distance. And he gets recognized by some people. Hey, aren't you that guy's follower? Now, Peter has a, has a struggle going on now because Jesus has just willingly given himself up. The man that we all thought was going to be king just willingly handed himself over. And Peter is panicking and worried about his own reputation. So he, he says, no, I never knew. I never knew. Guy says again, I, I'm, I'm sure I recognized you as a follower of Jesus. And he says, no, I never knew. And then 1826, one of the servants, the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut, had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. And the Luke account tells us that when the rooster crowed, Jesus looked directly at Peter, and they made eye contact. Judas did betray Jesus, but Peter's failure in many ways is worse. And can you imagine at your most embarrassing failure, making eye contact with the God of the universe, Jesus. Can you imagine what Saturday was like for Peter after the crucifixion, before the resurrection? I can't possibly imagine that. But here it is, Peter's biggest failure. The last point here is, is, is uh, from for Peter's failures, is that if you're unsure of your worth, you will do anything to protect your reputation. And Peter wasn't sure of his worth, and that's why he denied him. It wasn't the supernatural trance that he was under. He was unsure if he was worthy yet. He wasn't secure. And he did whatever he could to protect his reputation, because that's what we, that's what, that's our, that's our big fallback, right, of worth, is my reputation. What other people see me as. But that's fleeting. And ironically, Peter, in trying to protect his reputation, tarnished it forever. But thank God the story does not end there. A couple days later, Jesus strolled out of the tomb. He beats sin and death, and he appears to the apostles a couple times, two times, and at very encouraging moments for everyone. But if you're keeping track of the narrative of Peter's life, you're kind of wondering, where's is there going to be redemption for this? I mean, this was really bad. The leader, the supposed next leader of this movement, just denied Jesus to his face. On the moment when he needed him most. Is Peter going to have a redemptive arc? Yes, he will. Pe Jesus appears to uh, Peter and a few others a third time. And this third time is called the restoration of Peter. On your, on your heading, it's John 21. Uh, 15 through 19 and uh, Jesus appeared to, the, to these uh, disciples on a, 
while they're fishing. That's a big deal for these guys. The boat is, is where a lot of cool things happen. And uh, Jesus cooked them breakfast. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This was said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. A few observations here that I think are, that um, I think are, they, they are some of the most impactful, beautiful, freeing words for me, and I hope they are for you. Um, first, Jesus doesn't address Simon by Peter. He addresses him, son of John. Um, and this is, this is important because uh, he had gotten used to calling Simon Peter, Peter. Peter was his nickname. It was the rock. And Jesus chooses to address him by an intimate name of friendship. Not, not by the great legacy that Peter one day would have, but Simon, I know you, you son of John. This was an act of friendship. Secondly, Jesus makes Peter confront his failures right head on. He asks him three times, right? Three times. Peter denied him three times. He asked him three times. That's why Peter was so grieved, right? Why are you asking me three times? Third, there is no greater responsibility given to anybody that's not God in Scripture than in these verses. In the midst of Peter's failure, as he's confronting it right at Peter's lowest, Jesus honors him by giving him the biggest job he's given anybody. Take care of my kids. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Take care of them. What approval and value that must have been. And it wasn't because Peter had done anything amazing at that moment. It was simply because, and this is the fourth thing that I think is the most beautiful. What was the crux by which Peter was entrusted with this ministry? Why was he allowed to have this great legacy? What was so special about him? Plain and simple, he loved Jesus. He loved him. And that's where he found his worth. That's what made Peter worthy. Jesus could have said, Simon, Peter, the one who's seen my glorious form, the one who walked on water with me, the one who spoke with Moses and Elijah, the one that I gave the office of rock to. Are you going to do great things for me? Are you going to do immeasurably more than you could possibly imagine? Are you going to accomplish miracles and do amazing things? No, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And that's enough. Reading this passage, I realized that loving Christ is the only way to be sure of your worth. 
that loving Christ is the only way to be sure of your worth because what I have been giving myself over to, my, my career, my approval, my everything, everything was fleeting. But when you love Christ, it's the only thing that loves you back more than you, than you could ever possibly imagine, more than you can. When you love Christ, it's such a sure foundation because you're loving someone who loves you right in the, in the midst of your deepest failures. And he's not there saying, beat your failures, overcome them, have a great legacy, then I'll love you. No, he said, I know what you did, and I love you. Loving Christ isn't, isn't this, this thing that we do to unlock all of these blessings. It, it is, it is a, an unending resource of security and hope and worth that nothing else can offer you. Loving Christ is the only way you can be sure of your worth. And this, this is uh, such a beautiful message for me. It makes it so simple for my life. Of how do I live a more than life? Right? Not worry about what other people are doing and just love Jesus. Not, not chase other people's approval. Not chase other people's the value that other people can give me, but just love Jesus. Because he loves me. This is security. And to, to close our, our time... I wanted to fast forward a little bit to see this redemptive arc in, in Acts 4. So you got Peter, failure, constant failure, denied Jesus three times. Six months later, he and John are standing in front of the very group, the Sanhedrin, the high priest, whose servant he was afraid of six months earlier. Now he's standing in front of this high priest. And Peter and John are now the leaders of a movement that went from 12 dudes terrified in an attic to in six months, 10,000 people on the streets declaring Christ. I, I didn't figure out the math for that, but that's, that's pretty good growth. That's a good percentage. <laughs> and there's Peter standing in front of the Sanhedrin. And they're, they're daring him to act rashly and say something stupid. They're saying, stop talking about Jesus. Stop doing this. Stop healing. And Peter opens his mouth. And you can feel like maybe John, who knows Jesus, everyone in the room is, knows, by the way, that Peter's the one who says dumb things. And like, oh my gosh, please don't. But Peter defends Christ beautifully. And this, by the way, this, this movement's hanging on a thread, right? This movement's hanging on a thread. It's 10,000, but it's overgrown its capacity. Peter says the wrong thing, and this thing's done, but he defends Christ beautifully and wisely, and he acts humbly. And then there's, they, they dare him again, stop it, you know? Give it up. In Acts 4, 19 and 20, Peter and John both said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Friends, this is, this is just about the, the wisest thing and the, and the best thing Peter could have said. There's nothing condemning that they can't kill him there. He's not speaking rashly. He's not making a promise, right? It's not Peter saying, I guarantee you I will cut off one of your ear by the end of this day, right? <laughs> I, I, I will end you. Jesus will end you. I'm going to do whatever it takes. No, he just says, whether it's right, it's up to you. This is an act of humility. He's offering himself up. Whether it's right, it's up to you. But I can't stop talking about what I've seen and heard. And, and more, you know, less generally than that, than what I've seen Jesus do for me. 
what I've heard him say about me. He was so secure because of loving Christ. Loving Christ is the only way to be sure of your worth. And friends, that, is, that has been the ultimate freedom for me. The question is, am I worthy of the miracle? Yeah, only because Jesus loves me. I will never be able to live up to a miracle. And that's not my job. It's not my job to prove my worth on this planet. It's not my job to prove how good I am through the works I do. It's my job through my faith, hope, and love in the one whose single work validated me and gave me value for the rest of eternity. And that's, our, that's, that's the only way we can be sure of our worth. And that's, that's a way to live a more than life. No one lives like that, right? Completely secure, not taking rash action, this would, this, this would cause an, an amazing effect in your, in your workplaces, in your, in your home, with your friends. You live sure of your worth as coming from a God who loved you more than you could possibly imagine. Let me pray, and then um, we'll end our time today. Uh, Jesus, thank you for, for what you've done, the way that you've loved us, that we can be sure of your love, and that your love gives us immense, immense worth and value, not because of great things that we do, but simply because you love us. Would you help us to trust this? Thank you for, for um, what this past week means to you, that you, we can be confident that your, your love is real because you beat the grave. We are in awe of your work, God. Thank you for this time. Um, in your name, amen.